0: Welcome to Unfiltered. Here's tonight's headline. She's running, probably. While you've spent the day taking down the Christmas tree or maybe working off those holiday pounds, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren spent the day making the rounds in Iowa as she continues to test the waters of a potential presidential bid. She held a series of meetings and events today and has another coming up in just over an hour. The trip comes less than a week after announcing the formation of a presidential exploratory committee. So, how's she doing? CNN national political correspondent MJ Lee is in Iowa following the Warren pre-campaign. That's what I'm going to call it anyway. MJ, uh, how did it all go today?
1: Well, it's been a hectic weekend, Essie. Uh, She has had four events in the course of around 24 hours. She's going to have her final event tomorrow before she flies out of the state. And what she's really doing, to point out the obvious, is that she is introducing herself to the people of Iowa. Uh, This weekend is particularly important, if you keep in mind, that she hasn't been here since 2014. So for a lot of these people, not only is she sort of reminding them of who she is, she's probably telling them actually for the first time of who she is and what the issues are that are important to her and will be important To her eventual presidential campaign. Uh, And as you know, Essie, very well, the people of Iowa are famous for wanting to get to know their candidates very, very well. And Senator Warren has been taking questions from audience members at each of her stops. And I just want to talk about one question that she got at an earlier stop today in Sioux City. Uh, The audience member got up and asked her about the DNA test results that she decided to release a couple of weeks ago. That was so controversial. And the way that the audience member asked the question was so telling, I thought. Uh, Not only did they ask about the DNA test results. Uh, They also asked why did you give uh, President Donald Trump fodder to bully you even more? Just want you to listen to how she responded to that question.
2: I am not a person of color. I am not a citizen of a tribe. Tribal citizenship is very different from ancestry. Tribes and only tribes determine tribal citizenship and I respect that difference. My decision was I'm just gonna put it all out there. Took a while, but just put it all out there. All of my hiring records, including a DNA test, it's out there, it's online, anybody can look at it, it's there.
1: Now, what was fascinating was that Senator Warren also went on to say that she doesn't think she has the power to stop President Trump from uh, hurling insults at her. Uh, And then an audience member actually responded to that by saying, yes, you can. And that moment just kind of perfectly captured this balancing act that Senator Warren and I think other Democratic candidates are going to have to uh, juggle. There are uh, voters across the country who (laughs) feel like they want their Democratic candidate to directly take on President Trump. And then there are going to be plenty of other people who do not. want their Democratic candidates uh, to engage President Trump in his own game. Uh, So that is something that I think a lot of Democratic candidates will have to figure out just how they want to play that. And on a final note, and again, to point out something that's obvious, given how early we are uh, in the 2020 cycle, a lot of the folks that we're talking to this weekend, they simply say they're undecided. They want to get to know uh, these candidates better over the next couple of months and actually a year or so uh, since that's how far away the Iowa caucus is. And they have a Lot of candidates potentially that are going to be coming through this state. Uh, so again, uh, this is just the first step in what is going yeah. to be a pretty long campaign uh, for all of us. And Senator Warren uh, making sure that she wants to make a good first impression here.
0: So fascinating. And it's just getting started. MJ, thanks. We'll, we'll be talking to you again, I'm sure, uh, over the course of all this. Okay. Sticking with Elizabeth Warren's presidential bid, here's tonight's other headline. I'm with her? Warren may be among the earliest to enter the fray, but she could also be among the earliest to fail. Don't take my word for it. Just ask Democrats. According to a CNN poll of Democratic voters conducted in early December, Senator Warren places seventh in a crowded field of potential Democratic candidates, a backslide from a month earlier when she was polling in fourth place. But if you don't believe them, well, just ask voters in her own state. Back in September, 58 percent of likely Massachusetts voters said they believed Warren shouldn't even run for president, with only 32 percent supporting a potential Warren run. That according to Suffolk University Political Research Center Boston Globe poll. And if that's not convincing enough, her hometown paper, the Boston Globe, urged Warren not to run just a month ago. The Globe's editorial board argued that Warren's moment had passed and that she should step aside for a less divisive figure. The Globe wrote, while Warren is an effective and impactful senator with an important voice nationally, she has become a divisive figure. A unifying voice is what the country needs now after the polarizing politics of Donald Trump. Look, even her own inner circle may know that it's over before it's begun. Warren's longtime advisor and 2012 campaign architect Mindy Myers was reportedly speaking to several rival campaigns and had planned to meet with Beto O'Rourke back in December. So what do they all know that maybe she doesn't? Here's the deal. Elizabeth Warren may have been a Democratic star at one point, going from her humble Harvard professor roots to leader of the anti-banker posse, even taking credit at one point for the, quote, intellectual foundation of the Occupy Wall Street movement. Yes, that's how she talks. But in the years that have followed, her national appeal has waned considerably. Now, frankly, it's hard to see what boxes she checks at all. Take a look. Excitement? No. Polls show there's far more support for former Vice President Joe Biden, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, and even Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke, who until a year ago, most people had never heard of. Well, what about broad appeal? Hardly. Warren's far-left progressivism may make her a fan favorite in the primaries, but her coastal politics and unrelatability make her a non-starter for wide swaths of voters in a general. But finally, the thing that matters most in presidential elections to voters, authenticity. Well, we all remember the, the DNA test debacle in which she boasted of her Oklahoma roots and Native American ties and then released a DNA test to prove her native heritage which backfired spectacularly as she is in no meaningful way Native American. I've said it before, Democrats need a candidate who can beat Donald Trump. She has proven she cannot. For that reason alone, Democrats can do better. Disagree? Okay, let's discuss. Here to tell me why Elizabeth Warren should be the 2020 Democratic nominee just kidding, Our CNN political commentators, former senior advisor to President Obama, co-host of Pod Save America, Dan Pfeiffer, and former national press secretary for Bernie Sanders. 2016, Simone Sanders, I would not put you guys in that position. I am kidding, of course. I know it's way too early. Okay, but Dan, to me, even this early, it seems like Warren's candidacy is DOA. Do you honestly think she's the Democrats' best bet to beat Donald Trump,
3: I have no idea if she's the best bet to beat Donald Trump. But neither does anyone else, and that's what the whole process is about. Look, she has challenges, but so does every other single person who's running. And it's not like the person that they will be running against, and Donald Trump, is some sort of like perfect political candidate designed in a lab. He has flaws as well, I'm told. And so right. we're going to have to we're going to have to see this play itself out. And she's going to make her case. And sh- she has she has real political strengths and challenges. And so. No, I cannot of tell course you no we're one what voters going to November.
0: Dan, I get you hedging it. I get, I get mm. it. I understand. Mm. It's early. Why would anyone come out this early to, to back anyone? But mm. coming in, and I said the same thing of Hillary mm. Clinton, coming into the 2016 election, Hillary Clinton mm. had known challenges. We couldn't know some of the mm. stuff that was going to fall in, in right. her path, but she had right. known challenges. Elizabeth Warren has some known challenges that I think make her a very unattractive candidate?
3: I mean, I think that that is the the voters will have to decide that. And you just, you really just don't know. There are things I really like about Elizabeth Warren's candidacy because she probably has the best, most popular, finely honed economic message of anyone who's thinking Hmm. of running. And that will be very valuable. There are other challenges. And the DNA test is something that she's going to have to navigate. I don't think it's going to be a... A hugely damaging problem, but it's something. Hmm. You know, she's, she has to answer questions about it.
0: Well, Simone, uh, to, to Dan's point, having the yeah. most popular economic message. I mean, it's it's Bernie Sanders' um, mm. m- message, and mm. and to me, from where I stand, Bernie's everything Warren is, but better. He's more energizing, more unifying, certainly more authentic. Do you think that she can capture his coalition and his appeal if, in fact, he decides not to run? We don't know.
4: <laughs> and I know it sounds like, it sounds like hedging, Essie, I know, but we just do not know. Look, frankly, I like Elizabeth Warren, but I like a lot yeah. of potential um, 2020 contenders. And yes, she is going to have to continue to answer questions um, about the DNA tests. Why did you do it? What does this mean? But I, you know what? I want to say I really liked her answer today and I liked it because I think that's what a lot of people across the country not only need, but not only want, but need to hear. Um, she said, I am not a person of color. They need to hear her say, I'm not a person of color. I understand, even though, like, it's clear, but I It's absurd. It's absurd that she has to say that, Simone. It is absurd, but it's also absurd that it's it's also absurd that, you know, the president continues to hurl a racial slur at her and that she felt the need to address his racial slur. It's absurd that we're having a conversation about is she the best, you know, person to defeat Donald Trump when she's not even officially in the race yet. So I just think that this is going to be a long, very long, but robust Democratic primary and this is exactly what I think the base and the Democratic Party needs. So Dan some of the changes to the process could
0: impact people like Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden. Some of the caucus states are now going to be primaries which could hurt people with very sort of condensed passionate fan bases like like a Bernie Sanders for example. Likewise moving California up in the primary calendar could make it harder for moderate candidates like like Joe Biden to get through a primary if they have to go through California earlier, what kind of candidate do you think this new, the new math, the new system favors?
3: I, this is sort of, I think, a counterintuitive take of how a lot of Democrats think about this. I think all of the okay. changes that put in place actually make Iowa more important than it's ever been before. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I think there are problems with it. But by moving California and Texas up, which are two states that are too big to organize at scale for a primary candidate and too expensive turn ads to get your name ID up, the best way to catapult yourself into the first tier is to win Iowa. And so candidates who can run and win in Iowa are going to be at a premium here. Elizabeth Warren, to her credit, is out there early and also hired one of the engineers, Emily Emily Parcell of Barack Obama's 2008 Iowa caucus victory. So she is off to a good start there, but I think I, being able to w- run an organized, compelling Iowa campaign is critical success.
0: Interesting take. Um, okay, so Simone, the existential question Democrats will have to confront for the next year-plus, I will, I'm sure, ask it of you a thousand times. Um, <laughs> do you run a progressive version of Trump targeting the energy of the base, or do you run someone who can capture as many disparate voters as possible, from moderates to independents to even maybe some disaffected Republicans? What's your thought?
4: My thought is that you run a person, well one, my thought is that the Democratic primary voters pick who the Democratic nominee will be. And I think um, what Democratic primary voters want is someone that's gonna come into their state, come into their community, their living room, and tell you exactly who they are and what they believe in. And not just how bad Donald Trump is, because Mm. I think we learned in 2016 that that's not what voters wanted to hear. But frankly, what is their vision for the future and how do they plan to get it done? And I think the person that can effectively articulate that. That to the American people, not yeah. to the American people, not just in places like Iowa, South Carolina, Nevada, but also in um, Appalachia, in places like Scottsbluff, Nebraska and the great state of Nebraska where I'm from. You have yeah. to be able to talk to everyone and they may not like what you have to say, but if they believe that you're authentic in your message, they may just decide to vote for you. Dan, Simone, let's do this again for the next two years. <laughs> what do you say?
0: <laughs> Thanks for coming Sounds on like a plan. I'm down. Great. I'm down. All right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, the vice president led a meeting on the shutdown today, but did he make any progress? I'll have the latest next. Coming up, should Speaker Pelosi try to rein in some of the freshman lawmakers in her party? White House officials and senior congressional aides met earlier today in an attempt to find some common ground and bring an end to the two-week-old government shutdown. The meeting, which was overseen by Vice President Mike Pence, lasted over two hours, but it lacked one key ingredient, any lawmakers in a position to make a deal. So what came of today's meeting? For the latest, let me bring in CNN correspondent Boris Sanchez. Uh, Boris, what are you hearing coming out of this uh, meeting?
5: Hey, I uh, see. Yeah, according to a source on Capitol Hill, perhaps the rosiest picture that we've gotten so far of what transpired during this meeting today. They said that talks moved forward with baby steps, indicating that Democrats asked Republicans to provide them with an official justification uh, for spending five point six billion dollars on the president's long promised border wall. Essentially, what we heard is that Republicans said, we'll get back to you. They uh, right. promised that. There would be a response either later today or tomorrow when both sides are expected to meet. We should point out other officials didn't really have the view that much progress was made, though Vice President Mike Pence in a statement said that talks were productive. The acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, dismissed any productivity in today's talks. He clearly was frustrated when he spoke to Jake Tapper during an interview shortly after uh, the meeting took place. He believes that Democrats are simply trying to stall In the meantime, we got a statement Mm -hmm. from uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi indicating that Democrats would vote on a number of individual bills that would appropriate uh, money to specific uh, parts of the government that are closed, like the Treasury Mm -hmm. Department and the IRS, etc. There's no indication, though, SC, that the Senate would actually take this up, let alone that the president would actually sign off on it.
0: And, Boris, while I have you, uh, thousands of federal employees As you know, have been furloughed or they're just not getting paid. Um, If any are watching, what's the latest news for them? Where do they stand?
5: Yeah, there's still some 800,000 federal workers who are either either furloughed or without pay. And the two-week pay period uh, that just ended yesterday covers the entire shutdown. So when they're scheduled to get a check next week on January 11th, they're likely going to see the shutdown reflected in that Mm. paycheck or in a lack of a paycheck. Keep in mind, this is going to continue to put pressure on administration officials, despite the fact that the president has said that he believes that these unpaid workers support him. He's also said that most of them are Democrats, not providing any (laughs) evidence for either. Also, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, some 80 percent of federal workers live outside of Washington, D.C., the surrounding area. So there are a lot of federal workers yeah. in Trump country that are going to be feeling the effects of this. We'll see if that has any effect on how the president ends up responding right. and whether that uh, leads to any progress during these talks, I see.
0: Morris thanks. Uh, we'll keep our, our eye on any developments over the course of our uh, hour, of course. Uh, meanwhile, as incoming freshmen were sworn in earlier this week, Nancy Pelosi faced Some new challenges as Speaker, controlling her raucous caucus. First up was Michigan Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib's colorful comments earlier this week.
2: And when your son looks at you and says, Mama, look, you won, bullies don't win. And I said, baby, they don't because we're going to go in there. We're going to impeach the mother
0: Mm, The statement wound up generating headlines like this one, not exactly the type of ink Pelosi was hoping to kick off her second turn as speaker with, I'm sure. Uh, Then there was New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who during a 60 Minutes interview with Anderson Cooper floated a 70 percent tax rate on the wealthy, 70 percent to fund a, quote, Green New Deal. And California Congressman Brad Sherman introduced articles impeachment for Donald Trump directly contradicting what Pelosi and other Democratic House leaders have been saying about waiting for the results of the Mueller investigation. All this has led to headlines like these over the past 48 hours. You know, I don't buy it, though. Hand-wringing over Pelosi's quote-unquote problem with her members is a waste of time. This is all going according to plan for the new speaker, She gets to play the good cop, reassuring moderates that she's focused on legislating, not impeaching the president, while the kids satisfy the far-left clamoring for Trump's ouster and using as much profanity as they think is necessary. Trust me, the kids are all right. Okay, let me bring in Republican strategist, CNN political commentator Doug High, and former senior advisor, Democratic National Committee, Democratic strategist Doug Thornell. To the two Dougs, okay. (laughs) Doug Thornell, let me start with you. When Pelosi says... She doesn't like the language that Talib used about the president. Doesn't she just mean she wouldn't use it, but you go right ahead? <laughs>
6: <laughs> well, no, look, I think she she really believes that. I mean, look, at the same time, I mean, if we look at what uh, the congresswoman said for, you know, it, it it pales in comparison to what Donald Trump has said over and over again and i think that you saw democrats you saw nancy pelosi you saw elijah cummings and others said say that the words were unfortunate it did serve as a bit of a minor distraction but at the end of the day i think it's hard to be outraged about her language when you have a president who talks about uh, s hole countries in Africa and uh, brags about assaulting women. So let's. That's, but
0: y- Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I've know, said this I, before. Um, <laughs> uh, I I think that's exactly why you should be offended by it. It's called intellectual and I am. And consistency.
6: The, and, and I totally uh, me, agree with you.
0: Well, well let me totally just go to, uh, to let me go to other Doug. Doug, hi. You know me. I'm not a mm-hmm. churchgoer. Uh, I'm not I'm not We're religious. Still on you. Yeah, sure. Keep <laughs> trying. My religion is intellectual consistency. Mm-hmm. I pray at the church of intellectual honesty. I don't always measure up. Sometimes I fail. When I do, I say three hail crowd Krautham- hammers and, and try to do better the next time. But listen, I hate what Rashida Talib said. Mm-hmm. I hate it because I think it's beneath the office. I think it's lazy. I don't think it's brave to call the president of the United States an MFR. And I said the same of Trump yeah. and continue to say I think his language is offensive. How how are people justifying this sort of double standard?
7: Well, the, the double standard is based on who it's aimed at. If you go back to 2016, a big part of the Hillary Clinton campaign's message was children are watching, and what were children watching? Right. Awful rhetoric from awful potentially, yeah. and then became the president of the United States. Yeah. But ultimately, Donald Trump has changed not just the presidency and how Republicans operate; he's he's changed how Democrats operate. Apparently. The, the latest comments are just the latest comments. If you look at Kamala Harris, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, DNC Chairman. Tom Perez they've all basically mimicked Donald Trump by using f-bombs in their speeches this is not just the new normal it's unfortunate but it's also the new normal
0: yeah I think it's all gross and I think if you're intellectually consistent you should say it's all gross Um, Doug Thornell let's turn to uh, yeah go ahead I just want to
6: say we actually did see that from Democrats. You did see Nancy Pelosi come out. You did see Elijah Cummings. You saw Clyburn. You saw leaders within the party say that. So did, I agree you with you in terms of intellectual. Saying, look,
0: cons- the, you've, you've, you have others saying, look, things have things have changed. Donald Trump. You just said it. Donald Trump. No, I, w- I was making the are, point about and intellectual you're outraged cons- about this.
6: You should be outraged about the president. You should be out. But my point is, if you're a Republican making these criticisms of this Congresswoman, you also need to be making the same criticisms of your president. And I'm not talking about Happy USC to. or Doug. Right. I, I'm here. I, you guys do that. I'm just talking about a lot of his bet, his defenders in Congress. And they just let this stuff go. Most of the time, Paul Ryan okay. acts like he doesn't even hear it. He's like, oh, I didn't see the newspaper. Or read see the TV. And that's just craziness. So th- We've got a with new that. speaker.
0: But uh, let's talk about one person who did defend it. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She tweeted a defense of her, her sis at a bar. Um, I, I think Republicans like to pick on AOC um, because it's, it's easy, it's not hard to do. Although I happen to think that video of her dancing was pretty adorable. Um, but it should also be said she courts attention and she's getting it. She's posted about her, um, you know, healthy me days. <laughs> she complains about not getting recognized by cat police she wants attention she's getting it isn't this a kind of like a victimless crime where both republicans and aoc mutually benefit from you know their mudslinging and her like clapping back at them on twitter
6: well i think she's been pretty adept at clapping back i'm not really quite sure what the obsession is that that uh people on the far right have with uh, Ocasio-Cortez. I mean, if the message or if the yeah. strategy going into 2020 is to sort of go after a freshman member of the new Democratic majority, I think there's going to be some serious problems. They probably need to get Doug Hyde back in there helping them yeah. no, out because, no, because, I, I, because gotta, I don't really understand. I mean, look, we- at, so I just think that they probably have to dr- figure out what their strategy is. And I think she's done a good job of managing all of this and pushing back on it.
0: Um, okay. I mean, just before we go, I, I have to agree, I don't get the obsession either, to Claire McCaskill's point. Mm-hmm. I don't know why she's a thing. She she doesn't know what the three branches of government are. Let's not give her undue attention. Sure.
7: It comes down to one thing. She's now the Democrats' Dave Bratt. When Dave Bratt beat Eric Cantor, my old boss, yeah, right. he got a flood of attention that he wasn't prepared for. It's the same with AOC. And I didn't hear one single Republican complain about her dancing video, so I hope we can stop talking about that, uh-huh. except for the fact that then the video she posted in response got 50 15 million views in 24 hours. Yeah. That's not just Republicans who are paying attention to her. Yeah, she is a yeah. force and that is a potential vulnerability to Nancy mm. Pelosi not in, not in mm. how she talks but in the Democrats ability to get things done. If if she in has her, her own yeah. Democratic Freedom Caucus and I think she does, that's going to be a growing problem. Well,
0: wow, we'll see. Okay, Doug Hyde, Doug Thornell, thanks to you both. Thank Next, you. before he was even sworn in, Senator Mitt Romney picked a fight with Trump. Is it a preview of how he'll legislate? And later, the president still hasn't commented on the American who was detained on spying charges in Russia. So what's the holdup? Who's MIA at CIA? Men, at least in the top spots. In May, after some initial controversy, Gina Haspel was confirmed as director of the CIA, making her the first woman to head the nation's top spy agency. And following that landmark accomplishment, she has placed women at the head of CIA's top three directorates. The first time that's ever happened. Haspel appointed Elizabeth Kimber to run the directorate of operations. She tapped Don Myricks to head the directorate of science and technology. And now she has appointed Cynthia Didi Rapp, as deputy director for analysis. By the way, Haspel didn't stop there. Under her, the agency's general counsel and director of diversity are also women. Women now reportedly make up half of CIA's workforce. Ain't that something? We'll be back in two minutes. In the filed night, recently sworn in, Senator Mitt Romney of Utah started the new year off with a scathing Washington Post op-ed attacking President Trump. First, it blasted his character and his time in office. His conduct over the past two years, particularly his actions last month, is evidence that the president has not risen to the mantle of the office. It goes on. With a nation so divided, resentful, and angry, presidential leadership and qualities of character is indispensable. And it is in this province where the incumbent's shortfall has been most glaring. Trump had this to say about Romney's criticism.
6: I wish Mitt could be more of a team player. You know, I'm surprised he did it this quickly. I was expecting something, but I was surprised he... Did it this quickly. If he fought really hard against President Obama, like he does against me, he would have won the election.
0: Senator Romney ended his op-ed with this. I do not intend to comment on every tweet or fault, but I will speak out against significant statements or actions that are divisive, racist, sexist, anti-immigrant, dishonest or destructive to democratic institutions. It's unclear what provoked Romney's condemnation, but he's obviously coming in hot. Okay, joining me now to discuss is CNN's political commentator, former spokesman for Mitt Romney's 2012 presidential campaign, Kevin Madden. Kevin, you know Mitt Romney better than most. It's why I'm so glad you're here tonight to talk yeah. to me about this. Um, because when I read this, I just, I thought, what what is Mitt Romney's goal in publishing this before he was even sworn in? What do you think?
8: Well, you know, he stated actually pretty clearly uh, during his interview with Jake Tapper that uh before he started his tenure in the Senate, that he wanted to lay down some markers and be very clear about where he stood as it relates to his relationship with this White House and how, uh, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that uh, given the way, and he pointed out in the op-ed that, you know, the last month has been a very tough month for the president on things like national security, foreign policy, uh, even some of his approach, that there will be flashpoints like that all the way throughout the next year, and that one of the ways that he can get ahead of how will he answer it at, 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 at some of these junctures is to lay it all out in this op-ed. Uh, and that I, seems look, to be what he was I don't doing. I disagree
0: yeah. with anything that Romney wrote, but why not wait for a legislative fight to arise or an issue over policy? Why do it preemptively?
8: Yeah, and I think that is the challenge. And that is, even for folks like me who have worked for him for a long time, yeah. I think it really did raise that question mark, which is why would you, at the beginning of your tenure, Define your tenure as a senator through your opposition to Trump or your questioning of his character and his judgment yeah. uh, on uh, I, and fitness for office. Because now what happens and later on in the op ed, he goes on to say, I'm not going as you as you decided, I'm not going to comment on every single tweet or statement. Yeah. By doing this, he, he actually guarantees that he will be the first person. Uh, the first senator, yeah. that every single reporter running through the halls of Congress um, and through the halls of the Senate right. will be looking for him. Uh, yeah. And he will be seen as this sort of, uh, you know, oppositional touchstone to the White House and to the president as a result of this op-ed. So it did raise that question mark for me as well.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, because it, it, it seems to me if, if he just wants to be an opposition voice of the Republican Party, he can write op-eds all day long. He could write a book about it. He could go on TV. We'd have him all yeah. the time. But he ran to be a legislator so I'm yeah and you know, during, during if
8: look, I mean the, the the interesting thing is that yeah. for six months uh, during his campaign in Utah he said look I'm gonna run a local campaign I'm gonna focus on Utah right. issues talk to the people of Utah about why I want to be their senator uh, and I don't want my my uh, my tenure defined by just through the lens of Donald Trump and then on day one he actually did <laughs> right. this. so uh, it, yeah it does create some challenges for him uh, and it does raise those questions
0: So his use of the word incumbent, he spoke about Donald Trump as the incumbent. My ears pricked up when I read that in the op-ed, and it made me think, I'm sure I'm not the only one, he's thinking about running. What do you know?
8: Uh, I, I know as much as you do, Essie, um, but he was pretty clear with Jake Tapper too that he didn't—he doesn't expect to run. It's not—it's not really in the cards. I think having run twice and and not have been successful, now having just taken the oath of office uh, on behalf of the people of Utah to be their senator, I don't expect that he is going to run for office. And I and I don't think this was a calculation in that sense. Okay. Um, particularly since it, if, if it would be a primary, it, you know, and I think the president's poster yeah. has pointed this out, it would be a very uphill climb Uh, and um, he's not going to run as an independent. So I I think when you when you've run for president and you start perking um, and you start popping up with op eds like this, that will always be part of the speculation. I don't think it's part of reality.
0: Kevin Madden, thanks so much for your insight. Appreciate it. It
8: Always great to be with you. Thank you.
0: Uh, Next up to another Kevin. Kevin Hart has Ellen in his court, but together they managed to stoke even more controversy about those derogatory jokes that torpedoed his Oscar hosting gig. Ellen to the rescue not so fast if Kevin Hart's plan to get back on the Oscars stage was to have fellow comedian Ellen DeGeneres smooth over the controversy surrounding his past homophobic jokes and tweets might have had the opposite effect. Superstar comedian appeared on Ellen for the full hour yesterday during which Ellen enthusiastically lobbied For Hart, saying he should be
2: rehired as host of the Oscars. Watch. You have grown. You have apologized. You're apologizing again right now. You've done it. Don't let those people win. Host the Oscars.
0: Ellen said she even called the Academy on his behalf. Well, this all prompted more outrage, naturally. For some, particularly those in the black LGBT community, Ellen's imprimatur was presumptuous. For others, Hart didn't seem authentically apologetic. And for many, the whole thing just looked too darn staged. Now, it's unclear what it accomplished for Kevin Hart's Oscar hosting chances, but it did accomplish one thing. It sparked a national debate. Joining me to discuss this thorny issue is my friend, comedian Judy Gold. Okay, first, what did you make of the whole
2: Kevin Ellen for your consideration show? You know, it was fascinating, because yeah. I don't think it was supposed to be him for the entire hour. Oh, uh, really? I, I mean, I don't a, know. I think, yeah. Was a call midway through? Uh, I think so. Uh-huh. I mean, don't quote me. Yeah. Um, I think it was really interesting, because, you know, I can see it from two perspectives. Okay. I see it from a comedian's perspective, and I see it from a, a member of the LGBTQ yeah. community. Yeah. And it was, a, it was a teaching moment. You know, oh, look, I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. I'm in a member of the LGBT mm. My experience is different than an African-American's experience yeah. being gay and there is it is intensely homophobic yeah. um and Look, he did this joke. Here's the thing. He okay. can say whatever he wants. He, can, But, you know, if you're going to do a joke about having a gay son, mm-hmm. make it funny. Because mm-hmm. you can talk about anything as a comedian it's if, funny. if it's funny.
0: Well, so, so there was particular criticism that Ellen was not the right person to resolve right. Kevin Hart. Hearing right. he, that she was not from a black LGBT right. background, right. knowing that particular kind of homophobia.
2: Right. And I know Kevin, and he's a great guy, okay. you know. And I've never experienced homophobia from him, his act, yes, and violent. I mean, the joke was violent, yeah, you know? Right. And if you think about the other part of it, where there's these kids who see their hero saying, if my kid comes home and he's playing with a dollhouse, I'm gonna smash that dollhouse yeah. over. First of all, not funny. Right. And second of all, it sends a message to some kid yeah. that, Oh my god, I can never come out. I'm an abomination. And you look, I've done work with the Hetrick Martin Institute. Yeah. You know, over 65% of transgender yeah. homeless teens are people of color. Over 40% right. of LGBT um, LGBTQ teens yeah. who are homeless, people of color. It's 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 really it is thorny. You would use the exact yeah. right word. And I want to I want to come back to that for a second, but first uh,
0: before that another thing that's bothering people is that heart and DeGeneres seem to frame this as internet trolls right. and haters right. having an issue with he, this. Right. So Doesn't here,
2: diminish? It does. It's like, I already apologize. You know, I got this offer, and then the next morning I'm getting tr- Look, you're really, really, really famous, and everything you've done in the past, yeah. you know, is going to come back to you. Everything you've said, that's why you always have to be sort of careful, right. but as a comic, like, I don't think we should hold comics to a higher standard than we do lawmakers or politicians, you know, but here was an opportunity mm. for him to, instead of saying, yeah, I already apologized, saying, you know what, Right. I'm glad you brought this up, because it is a really big problem. And here's and I, what I'm going to do. Right, and here's right. how I feel now, because look, mm. we want people to evolve. That's our goal yeah. for, some, you know people want their parents to you know they forgive their parents for years and years of treating them like you know crap well and yeah but here was an opportunity for to say you know i did apologize and i'm glad we're bringing that up again because it is still a big problem it is and yeah i I, you know you know me i'm I'm not a member of the lgbt community what that's not (laughs) what i heard (laughs) But, you know, I, I fight for this community. Yes, you always have.
0: Um, and yesterday, a judge ruled to uphold transgender ban in the military right. among, uh, by the Trump administration. That's deeply problematic yep. to me. I know it's problematic to you. I didn't see a whole lot of soliloquies last of course, night on the news right. by people about that. Do you think we're outraged about the right stuff?
2: I think we are not outraged by the right stuff. A prime example is a woman giving a speech and cursing, mm. and then everyone coming after her. Uh, let's focus on how we can change, how we can evolve, how mm. we can start this conversation, have an intelligent conversation. You know, people could get fired from their jobs still for being gay. Yeah. People cannot yeah, be rented right. apartments or get a cake for their wedding. Judy Gold, uh, thank you so much. I'm so glad you were oh, here. thank you. Uh, all right, we'll be right back. Yeah.
0: I'm back now with Judy Gold, my friend, comedian, to talk about the controversy over Kevin Hart's derogatory, hurtful, homophobic comments and Ellen DeGeneres' decision to absolve him. Um, Judy, I found it interesting. um, Sarah Silverman, Amy Schumer, Chelsea Handler have all in the past few months or year, I guess, decided they will not use homophobic slurs in their acts. Right. I hate those words right viscerally. Yes, is that the answer though from a comedian standpoint,
2: you know, I think comedians have to decide for themselves Mm. where you know where the line is drawn Mm -hmm. and I think I think for them it's their brand and and their fans mm. and you know it doesn't do anything positive. No, and has a society right.
0: decided that's not funny
2: right we not it's not yeah. funny. It's it I mean go back you know look, look at comedy from you know 40 50 years ago. Yeah, it's you, you could I mean look as a comic I can see where the joke is yeah, but there are just certain topics you just you know you just don't discuss anymore, mm. especially look we're in this mode of there's no privacy. Mm-hmm. And we, the news, your is social at, media yeah. is
0: going to be right. And you have yeah.
2: to be really, really diligent mm. about what you post. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, we're this whole th- idea about the, the First Amendment. Yeah. We learn so much by letting people speak. You know, people are are, mm-hmm. are you know write to me. How dare you let you know let the you know? Aren't you mad at this person for saying it? they said it? We yeah. have more information about that That's person right. now. I've always, I
0: mean, I, I didn't invent this, but right. the, the whole mantra is you meet hate speech with more speech, right? Not not less speech, and right. I think this is a teachable moment. I wonder what you think about what the Academy did, which was nothing. Um, the Academy right. sort it's of, like let this happen, let right. Kevin resign, let him go through Ellen to try. Right. To I mean, they really made, they made no
2: statements. They made no decisions. Were they sort of cowardly in this moment? I, I, I feel like they distanced themselves. Mm. You know, oh, we offered it. He's not going to do it. We, you know, no one wants to get their hands dirty. Yeah. No one wants to, you know, to take a stand mm. because they're afraid of the other half uh, uh, attacking them and we've got to start standing up for what's right and you know if you're going to write jokes make them funny Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. uh, if you're going to talk about them you can talk about anything the most subversive topic to that if it
0: is funny louis ck right recently back in the news right for a stand-up routine that was caught on audio right saying some things that people thought were not funny right uh did
2: he go about this the right way if he's trying to mount a comeback I think that Louis, uh, again, freedom of speech. Yeah, of course. He's a comic. He goes to clubs. Mm -hmm. He—that's where he works. It's like saying to a painter, "You can't paint." Mm. Not everything he says is going to be funny. Uh, Humor is so subjective. Sure. Uh, And I think we often go over the edge before we come back when we're writing material. Uh I don't. You know, again you know, the, someone recorded him doing his work. It's right. like someone painting and making a mistake mm. and having the entire world, you know, looking mm. at yeah. them saying, oh, God, that, you know, I'm. that's it. But, you know, Louis has his own path. And, I, you know, look, as a comic, <laughs> that would be the first thing I talked about on stage. That would the be... The mistakes you made. Right, Right. you know. Just that, set it that's out. The, the, we talk about the elephant in the room. He's yeah. always talked about, talked about the elephant sure, in the room. Sure, sure, sure. And... You know, that's what's really important. I mean, we're like the only truth-tellers left at this point. Yeah,
0: I agree. So, uh, quickly, what should happen to Kevin Hart and the Oscars? Should he get another stab at it? Uh,
2: you know, I I feel like, again, like I said last segment, mm. it's a teaching moment. I think it is a teachable moment. I mm. think there's so many options here. Mm. And he could really use his stardom mm. and this incident to Make help some, some like really really kid, you know, young kids yeah. who feel hopeless and unloved Judy go. Thanks so much again and thanks for uh, all of you
0: tuning in. That's it for us later tonight experience the incredible story of comedy great Gilda Radner in her own words, the CNN film love Gilda is on at 9 next Ana Cabrera has the latest headlines on CNN newsroom.